Rabbi. This week's Parsha, Parsha Sisovim, comes out just a couple of hours before the uh, Yom of Rosh Hashanah. The Yom of Rosh Hashanah, which is one of the most important days on our calendar. <clears throat> it's interesting, I remember a story when I was a bachur in Yeshiva, one time, he used to go every Shabbos to walk from Givat Shol to Beit Began to Yeshiva's Kaltera. And he was asked to give a Sikha, to give a Shmuz in the Beit Medrash over there. And he usually had some type of deep idea that he would come with a whole opinion, a whole, you put together a few ideas together and give over a message. One year, he walks in and everybody's waiting to hear what he's going to share with them. And he opens up the Sefer Dvarim, and he starts reading from the Chumash, Parashas Mitzavim. And he reads the Parashas, starts to read Sukkim, and he reads every single Pasuk slowly and clearly, maybe translates a little bit, finishes the Parsha, which talks about the whole of Tshuva, and how it's something which is not too far from us, and something each of us be able to reach, and how this makes a whole difference in our whole life. Finishes the parsha, closes the chumash, gets up and walks out. Everyone was like, "What is? What happened?" The message was, "There's no tricks. There's no. <clears throat> there's no manipulation. These are the facts. The person has to be able to think through if he wants to build this connection with Hashem's Baruchu. The connection with tshuva. But really, the idea of tshuva and kapara and." And Vidui, uh, that's really the theme of a Sarasimei Tshuva. When we come to Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah is Yem Adin. And we come in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we're meant to be able to present ourselves in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I remember a different story, which is nothing to think of our child. This was actually a few times, that uh, <coughs> near Yeshiva, when Rav Nassim was very young, when he became Rosh Hashiva, after he took over from his father-in-law, Rabbeinu Shrinkel Ratzel, he was in his uh, middle 40s, and um, in, in New Yeshiva, in the Ezus Nashim, was a very small Ezus Nashim, and then there were steps that went up to two shear rooms on the top floor that had windows going to the base Medish. <clears throat> they would have Nashim davening there and Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. And one of the rooms, the only way to get access to that Rosh Hashanah was to go to the top floor of the dormitory and walk through the end of the hallway, walk down steps, and that would reach that room. And who was inside that room? Eishatayah had a girls' division that uh, Rebetzin Weinberg, as I find was Rebetzin, organized Shadavid over there to be able to daven together with the special stylus of Meir Yeshiva, of Haya Finkel's Atzal, and that the girls should have that experience in Meir Yeshiva. And when the Benish was nifter, the Bach himself was not she was younger, a little bit more reachable. So they tried to make a uh, you know, to, to ask to, to ask a special request of Nathan C. They said, Listen, you know, we're here and uh, we're in the dormitory, this is our home and because these girls have to come in here to go to that room and Davening starts at six o'clock in the morning. We have to be out of our room by five forty, five thirty, and we can't be in the room the whole day. And Kip, especially when it's the whole day, we can't go in there. Um, maybe they could find another place to Daven. So Nasus he answered back like a guddle. He said, "Listen, I'll tell you. When it comes to Rosh Hashanah, it's Yemadin. 
And the person needs truyas, he needs merit to be able to be nitzel, to be saved during Yamadin. And that's why we all come together, we dive in together as a tzibur, everyone together. <clears throat> because nobody knows whose tefillah is going to be the tefillah that carries us to. Now it could be that in that room up there, there's a girl that's davening with a full broken heart, a sincere broken heart, and her tefillah is going to be the tefillah that's going to carry us all through. I'm not telling anybody they can't have it in your yeshiva. You never know who's going to be that person that's going to help us. So you see from here, there's an idea of, of a person trying to be zakai din, to try to be able to find merits and to be able to find himself in a way that he should be nitzal and din. And there are many, many aids which they give. The person should try to make sure he doesn't get upset with people. There's certain kabbalas that people try to accept. <clears throat> maybe we'll share an idea to now that maybe it could be something that we can, you know, use as food for thought before going into Rosh, into Rosh Hashanah. Now there's a Gemara, Tarachaner, Tarachaner, you know, writes in uh, in the Sefer on Chumash, in Sefer Minchas Oni. He brings the he brings the following idea. He points out that uh, through history we found a number of times in the history of Kali Yisrael that when Rosh Hashanah came out, not like this year, this year Rosh Hashanah comes out on Monday and Tuesday, right? Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday. But when Shabbos came out, in the history of Kali Yisrael, when Shabbos came out on, uh, when Rosh Hashanah, I'm sorry, came out on Shabbos, during those years, there were, there were catastrophes that came to Kali Yisrael. There were difficulties, difficult situations that came to Kali Yisrael. The first base of Mikdash, the second base of Mikdash was destroyed in years where, where the, where the, where Shabbos was, Rosh Hashanah was on Shabbos. We missed that sus of the Shaifer being blown on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, and that led to difficulty. At Kabbalah in Rosh Hashanah, the Tazayin of Bay says, Amav Yitzchak Koshadash ain't taken la bereshisa. Any year we don't blow the Shaifer in its beginning, Maria and the Shaifer, and that winds up being the effects of that come out at the end. And we wind up with sometimes things which are unfortunate to us in the end. And therefore, that the schutz of the shaifa is something that we very much want and we we uh, you know try to look out for. But then the Achimel points out, as much as those years that Rosh Hashanah came out on Shabbos the first day, there were difficult years, but there were also some years where there were some very good things that happened when Rosh Hashanah came out on Shabbos. For example, when when uh, after the Chet Egel, when Moshe Rabbeinu went back up again and he came down in Yom Kippur, and Kali Yisrael was forgiven and was let to know that this will be a day, Yom Kippur will be a day of for, of forgiveness forever and ever throughout all the generations, the day of Sicha v'Chapara, and at that point they were being told that they could start to build the Mishkan, and that year also Rosh Hashanah came out on Shabbos. <coughs> so, and he points out from other 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 things that happened during years where we saw there were good things that came out when Rosh Hashanah came out on Shabbos. So if that's the case, Chaner is asking well, on, on self, well, you see some places it's a difficult thing, some places, some places it's beneficial. Is it a good thing for Rosh Hashanah to come out to, to come out on Shabbos the first day or not? So Chaner answers like this. He answers with a mushal. He gives a mushal that there was a king and this king was a very powerful king. And one of his officers rebelled against him. 
And we know that when a officer rebels against the king, his punishment is Misa. He's free to be killed. So <clears throat> there's no hope for him. There's nothing to do. You rebelled against the king. You have to watch yourself. You have to know your limits. You rebelled against the king. Now, if somebody can persuade the king somehow or another, then the king would hold out a scepter and tell the person that you're free to go. But it wasn't easy. Once the king made up his mind, then there was a garden for, for Muppets. So this specific officer was in a lot of trouble. He sent friends and all different types of people to go in, and nothing doing. The king wasn't willing to, willing to budge because it was a very serious offense against the king. So his wife looks at her husband. She says, you know, I, I see you did everything you could to save yourself, and I need you very, very much, and I don't want you to be taken from me. Right? I'm going to go and I'm going to speak to the king. She walks into the king and she says, Listen, my master, the king, I know that my husband did something over here, but it's a one, it was a one time thing. He really is a good servant of yours. And he really will make sure from now on to make sure that he does everything properly, like the way that you want. I'm a young woman. I have young children and I need my husband. Could you please spare him and make sure that I don't wind up being a widow and without anybody? be being there for my children to be their father. Please, please give him that chance. The king hearing this, he, he gets filled with compassion and he looks at the woman, sees her sincerity, sees her tears, and he gives in and he says, you know what, I'm going to let him go. He holds out a scepter and frees this person to go home. A couple of months later, there was another servant, another officer that rebelled against the king. And the same thing, against the king. That's a very serious offense. The decree is he's supposed to be killed. Love it. And he tried everything as well to try to persuade the king. And then he remembered that a few months before, there was another officer that got in trouble with the king. So he goes over to his wife and says, listen, before a couple of months ago, there was an officer that got into trouble with the king. And he sent his wife and his wife went inside for him and spoke to him. And she saved him. I want you to go in right now. And I want you to be able to go inside and plead for me. So she looks and she says, okay, if that's what you want me to do, I'll go, I'll go in to do it. And she comes into the king. And she starts to cry and to cry and to cry and to plead with the king as well for mercy for her husband. And she even does a better job crying than the first one's wife. And the king looks at her and he notices all over her body and her face are these types of wounds and scabs, and her arm looks a little bit broken, and something's wrong with her foot. And he tries to understand, you know, he asks the officers, you know, what is this from? What, what happened to her? Why is she all beaten up like this? So they checked into it, and they found out that it was, she was the um, victim of her husband's abuse. And that he was the one that caused all these wounds and, and uh, you know, and, and, and hurt her so much. So when the king understood now, the king looked at him and said, look, I understand. These cries that are coming out from her are not coming out from a woman that's crying out because she cares about her husband. She's worried about her husband's, husband's you, know, uh, you know, future over here. This is a woman that's living out of fear. She's a woman that's not really connected to her husband, but her husband is threatening her to be able to save him. So she, so therefore he decides that he's going to give him a guidance from others and to just carry out the, the decree. 
of the officer who looks at him and says, I don't understand. You know, a couple of months ago, somebody else had such a thing. His wife went into suspicion. My wife did a much better job than, than, than she his, his wife did. And why are, you, why are you picking on me and not letting me live? And him would say, it's okay. She explains to him, because I'm seeing now that <clears throat> the reason why you why his wife came is because she loved him and she took care he took care of her and he was a good husband and it was coming from a sincere place and therefore that's why her her defense can come for her husband to be able to save her husband. But over here it was very clear to me that her crying was because she was afraid of your abuse. And therefore it wasn't coming from a sincere place, it was coming out of fear. That's not something which is going to change my mind to go ahead and to allow you to be able to be saved. Explains the Echonair. There's a medrash that says, Amr HaShabbos HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Shabbos came in front of Hashem, he said to Hashem, the Bainish Shalaylam, master of the world, Rechulon Yesh Ben Zug, every single day of the week has a, has a spouse, has a match. Well, he ain't Menzug. I don't have a, I don't have a spell. Sunday has Monday, Tuesday has Wednesday, Thursday has Friday. I'm a Hakarvachu, Knesset Yisrael, he Menzug. Klal Yisrael will be your Menzug. Klal Yisrael will be your spouse. And when Klal Yisrael comes to Rosh Hashanah, and Klal Yisrael needs a schuss to be saved, so then the spouse of Klal Yisrael, Shabbos, comes to stand up in front of a Karish and to be made for Klal Yisrael and to be able to say, please save him. But my, 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 my spouse, my Shabbos is asking for his spouse to be saved. Now some years it works, some years it doesn't work. It all depends how you treated the spouse. If you treated Shabbos with, with respect, if you tried to make the most out of Shabbos, to maximize Shabbos, to keep Shabbos, to experience Shabbos, to live Shabbos, so then, then Shabbos comes and, and, and speaks for us as a defending attorney to be able to save us and, to, and, and, and his, defense is, his defense is accepted by Akadosh Baruch But if we don't treat Shabbos properly and we don't respect it properly and we don't maximize what we can take from Shabbos, then Shabbos doesn't have the ability to save us. And that's the difference between the years where there were things that came out in the, uh, you know, with catastrophes and tragedies and things that happened when Rosh Hashanah came out the first day on Shabbos and why there were years where, where those were wonderful years for Klai Yisrael when Rosh Hashanah came out on Shabbos. Because when we treat Shabbos properly then that gives us us for the Shabbos to be able to be naked on us to protect us and to be able to bring us through to our year. You know, we're holding right now just a few days before Rosh Hashanah. And one of those few days that we have before Rosh Hashanah, Shabbos Kodesh, the last Shabbos of the year. If we try to take that Shabbos and we maximize the Shabbos by making sure that we try to put what we can into our Shabbos to make use of the day and to give us that this is the day of Me'en Elam Haba, and we try to make sure not to in any way be Mechalel Shabbos, <coughs> but try to make sure to be to make sure that by our students that our students on Shabbos have that surah of, of a Shabbos surah, then Shabbos can come to be made for us as Hashem, that it should be a schus for us, for us and our families, to, for, for a good kubench jor. 
Now, this is not only the aside for Shabbos Kodesh. This is really the chalik of the aside for all mitzvahs. For all mitzvahs. But Shabbos especially, is, is, is because that's how a spouse has the craft to be able to preach for us. You know, there's a Rambam in, in Hilchus Lulav. The Rambam says like this, HaSimcha sheyismach adam asiyas ha-mitzvah. The simcha that a person has when he does a mitzvah. And the love that he has when he's commanded to it. Avoid it daily. Takes a lot of work. But anyone who holds himself back from this simcha, then that's going to be something which is going to be detrimental for him. And you see here the importance of being able to do a mitzvah of the simcha. Now why is that so important? Why would we do a mitzvah of the simcha, you know, of Yitzchak Kutner speaks about the fact that when we do a mitzvah, it's measured by the tzar that we put into it, or the simcha that we put into it, the pun tzar agad. Well, that we have tzar for a mitzvah, we're willing to put ourselves out, right? So the bigger the tzar. The more that we do a mitzvah with simcha, the bigger the tzar. Why do we measure it by how much we're willing to put ourselves out, or how much simcha we have when we do a mitzvah? So, <clears throat> there's one more marshal that I think is also very important for Rosh Hashanah. That's why we just tried to get things in here. Um, you know, on Rosh Hashanah, every day, every every time after the Kiyos, we say the Tzilas Havayim Haras Olam. Right? So today, the world was created, and it was the beginning of the world. And then the Pasuk, the, the, the Maima that we say is that, in Kavanim, in Kavodim. <coughs> it depends if we act like sons or we act like servants. In Kibanim, if we come to Akash Baruch like sons, Rachamenu Krachamah Habanim, then Hashem deals with us in a way as a father who has compassion to his son. Bim Kavadim, Ainanu Chatsulis Hashitachayim, Saiti Olam Shvatenu. When if we come to him as a servant, then it's a different way how Akash Baruch deals with us to bring out our judgment, bring out our Mishpat. Now, what's the Pshad over here? Im Kavanim, Im Kavadim. What is it? What's the pshat in that? Right? We find a few places in Chazal where Chazal tell us that it's important when we serve Hashem, it has to be like a son. Like one Balavashu says, When you do the rest of Hashem, you call banim, son, children. When you're not doing the rest of Hashem, you're called Avadim. First of all, what does that mean when you're doing the rest of Hashem? You're not doing the rest of Hashem, but here we're calling you Avadim, here we're calling you. So, Chaim Valkin, Meshkiach of Yeshua's Hatayas Yisrael, and Yisrael says a, a, a beautiful word. He says, what's the difference between an Evid and a Melech? He gives the following marshal. He says, let's say a father says to his son, Yankel, right, do me a favor. Can you bring me a cup of coffee? Can you bring me a tea? So Yankel goes to bring him the cup of coffee, goes to bring him the cup of tea. But he brings together with him two pieces of cake, together with the coffee, together with the tea. And the father took, looks at him and he says, Yankel, I just asked you for a coffee. What's this? He goes, I know you asked me for a coffee, Tati, you Abba, right? But I know what you really wanted, what you really needed was also to have a piece of cake together with the coffee. In other words, a child, when he looks at, you know, by Yosef Atadik, when Yosef was told by Yaakov to go look for the brothers, Yaakov even sent him to go look for his brothers in Shechem. And Yosef knew that it was a sakon of him to find his brothers. And when he didn't find him in Shechem, 
and we met, he met, uh, you know, the person who was a Navi, right, the, the Baruch Gavir that, that stopped him to tell him, right, uh, that they went Daisana to Daisan, right, he could have stopped him and said, okay, Tati told me, Abba told me that I should just go to Shechem, they're not in Shechem, let me go home, it's a Sakana. But my Rosh Hashiva pointed out that Kibbut Avem is not what the Tati says, what the father says, what the father wants. But when you're a child that loves your father, then that love and that care and that want to be able to be connected to him, right, makes you go out on a different limb to be able to say, I look to see what the Tati wants, what my father wants, and therefore he brings that extra piece of cake. He brings that extra thing to him. Because there's a relationship, there's an emotional relationship between the child and the father. But an effort, an effort does as he's told. Right? And Evid does his job. So if he wants the coffee, he'll bring him the coffee. He's not going to worry about if it's the best coffee. He's not going to worry about if it's hot enough for him. As long as he brings him what the master said. It's more of a colder relationship. That's the pshat. In Kibanim, if you come to me as a Ben, that's one yachat. That's one relationship. If you come to me as an Evid, that's something else. So just like my Shabbos Kaibish, we said before, the one that treated Shabbos differently, that was Mechabit Shabbos differently, that was careful about the Shabbos, that was a different message, and that's why Shabbos can come to be the defending <coughs> the defending attorney for that person, every mitzvah that we do. Because when we do a mitzvah with our full heart, we do our mitzvah with simcha, we do a mitzvah with, 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 our, with our whole excitement, right? And even if, let's say, we have a challenge and we put ourselves out for it, like with Tumta Agri, even if it's going to be something that's challenging, we're still out there to do it, that's a different message. So if we're looking for a Tchusen Din, that's what we're going to try to do. Let's try to make the most of the Shabbos. The person should try to think through maybe one mitzvah. One mitzvah that he knows that maybe he needs a little bit of fixing. Take something over there and take that upon ourselves that we're going to try to do it the best way that we can with the biggest simcha that we can, and to make sure that we keep it consistently. And even if sometimes there are things which make it more, more challenging for us, we still stand up to it. And if we step up to that, don't take, take something, one thing, even a small thing, and we move forward with that. As I with that, we should be zeicha for tzivach, simotayva, a good kibayshir, for us and our families, to all be written in the safe tzivach, shal tzadikim, and for as Hashem, for Everyone should have a good Shabbos and a good Yom and a good Yar and Kol.